and the person that was uh, there had rededicated their life to Christ, and they were listening to the radio for encouragement to kind of drown out the sounds of, of the prison, and um, they just wanted to write and tell how much the vignettes were meaning to him. And as I was reading the letter, it became crystal clear that this person knew a lot about me. He was telling me his life and his story and everything, and why he was in prison, and, but as he was, as he was writing, I, I got the feeling, you know who I am, because he was telling me details about my life that no one should know, and when it clicked that this person knows me, I immediately flipped through the pages to the signature, and I realized that it was my roommate from Bible college. And I thought to myself, how could you? I mean, we went, to, we went to Bible college in the late 80s when every large ministry was crashing and burning. And we always said, we'll never be like that. And we, we lived together and we worked together and we ministered together. And I was like, how could you? And more I was thinking, how could you? I was thinking, how could something like this actually happen? Where do we go to find out what makes someone go in a direction that they just shouldn't go? And what I realized when I was looking at the story of Adam and Eve, because there's so many angles you could come at the story, is I just wanted to talk about something we can all relate to tonight, and that's temptation. We all struggle with temptation. There is not a human being that's ever been born that hasn't struggled with temptation. Temptation is just a part of our lives. But it's the part of our lives designed to destroy you. And God says in his word, Jesus says this, words in red, crystal clear, John 10.10, he says, I just want you to know that, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy of your soul out there that is coming to destroy you. But I have come, Jesus says, I've come, that you might have life and have it to the full. When we look at Adam and Eve, when they were under God's rule, they experienced God's blessing. But that's not just something for the garden, that's for our life today as well. When I'm under God's rule, when I'm following him, I'm under his blessing. I'm living in his presence and in his place. But when I choose to disobey him or walk away from him, then I'm walking under a curse. And so I have to realize that I have a choice to make. Am I going to walk with God or against God? Am I going to obey and live under His rule? Or will I reject Him? And when I reject Him, that means separation. That means separation from me to Him. Not that we can't be restored back to that communion, but there's that separation. God desires for us to live in His presence with His rule over our life. That's just how He made us. That's how He designed us. And Adam and Eve kind of changed a lot of the, the, the plays, and so it kind of changes how we live our life. But the question I always get asked, especially from my kids, they're like, Dad, what if Adam and Eve didn't sin? What would, be the, what would the world look like if Adam and Eve didn't sin? And the reality is, is I think it looked pretty much the same because somebody else along the way would have fallen into temptation. And if nobody fell into temptation, then I would have come along, you would have come along, one of us would have succumbed to 
temptation because we are not immune to temptation. Even in the most perfect environment ever designed by God, where everything was good, they weren't even tainted by sin yet. Adam and Eve, God created them, he said, oh, this is good. And they were living in a good place, and yet still, in the best possible place, temptation still came. Even Jesus was tempted, who was perfect. Even he was tempted. Look, we're all going to be tempted. And this is very important. Listen to me. Temptation is not sin. Okay? Because sometimes we think, oh, I've been tempted, and so it's so bad. No, no. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. He just never sinned. He overcame temptation. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. How do we overcome temptation? How do we overcome this, this drive of the enemy to get our soul? Because temptation is just a part of life. It's a part of all of our life. From the very beginning to the very end, temptation is a part of our life. Now, when temptation comes, it comes disguised. The devil never shows up and says, look, why don't you follow me because I want to damn your soul. He never does that. He's going to come in disguised as something good. If you notice there in Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't even tell us that the serpent is Satan. It's not until Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 that he is described as that serpent in the garden, but it's at the beginning. It's just one of God's creatures. It's not this demonic force that shows up. It's just a creature in the garden, and that's how the devil will show up in your life. He'll show up as an angel of light or something that's okay and and something that's just part of your life, and, and it can even seem good. And then he doesn't start saying, hey, you really need to disobey God. No, you know what he did? He said, well, what, what did God tell you? He, he started a conversation. And so this, it, it comes in a disguise. It doesn't come, we think of temptation like, oh, it's so bad. No, it comes in a disguise. The devil never comes to you dragging the chains that are going to put you in bondage. He just comes with a lot of lies, a lot of promises that will never happen. And he comes and, and he tries to get you. Eve says in Genesis 3, 3, if you still have your Bibles open, if not, it's on the screen. She says it's, it, it's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So she's carrying on the conversation with the serpent. No, God told us we couldn't touch it. We couldn't taste it. We couldn't do anything. And that's not what God said, is it? God says don't eat of it. She added the don't touch it. And I was reading some rabbinical literature on this. What, what do rabbis teach out of this? And, and, and one rabbi said it this way. When you add to God's word, you actually subtract from God's word. If you decide to add, you're going to actually subtract. And then there was another rabbi who said, no, she's building what we call a hedge around the Torah in the sense of this is what God said, but I'm going to build a fence even farther around that so I don't even get close to the bad thing. So you like build this hedge. Let me just say it this way. God's word doesn't need any human modification. What God says in his word is what he meant. And that's what we follow. And so we have this thing that's going on. And, and in rabbinic teachings, they, they, they just so you know, they add to the story in their teaching, but I thought, found it interesting that, that one rabbi said he felt like the snake was actually you know, going around the tree and then actually touching the fruit that they were not supposed to touch, and then maybe one of the apples fell to the ground and rolled to her feet, but, but 
what the devil was doing was discounting God's word to Eve. He said, don't even touch it. Here, he's touching it, and he's fine. What, what does this mean? This is the point I want to give you. The enemy wants to come and undermine the credibility of God. The enemy wants to come in and undermine the credibility of God. He wants you to begin to doubt what God said in his word. He's saying things like, really, Eve? Is that what God really said? Is that what he really means? I mean, is that really that bad? That's what we begin to think and rationalize. Is it really that bad? I mean, I know Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For one who sows in his own flesh will reap, uh, reap corruption. You know, is, is that really true? That if I do what's wrong, that's what I'm going I'm to reap what I sow. I mean, is God really going to judge the sin? I mean, look at everybody. Everybody else is getting away with it. The whole world is doing it. Everybody's getting away with it. Does God really mean it? And suddenly, there are that, there's that moment where Eve begins to question God. And there's those moments in our life when we begin to question the character of God. We begin to question the goodness of God. We begin to question the justice of God. We begin to question these things about God. And when you begin to question God, you will begin to doubt His Word. And so you have to be careful, because the enemy is going to say, really? And it's not about the apple. I know it's a piece of fruit, but temptation is never really about the apple. We think, well, I really want this one thing. You don't really want just that one thing. You want what that one thing promises you that you don't have. You want that thing that you think God is withholding from you. You want that one thing that will make you feel a way that nothing else will make you feel, and that's why I want it. It was never about the fruit. And with your life, it's that one thing that you can't live without. It's really not about that. It happens all the time. When somebody comes in to talk for counseling, we're going to talk about something, but we're really not talking about that thing. There's something much heavier, much deeper underneath the surface, and that's what we got to figure out. What is this all about? And so I want to talk about the progression of temptation so that we can recognize this in our life. And, and really, I, I like to use 1 John 2.16 and, and the progression of uh, the temptation. And we see it that, first of all, there's this physical part of it, or the lust of the flesh. It'll be on the screen if they can find it. The lust of the flesh. This idea, physical, she, she wanted to eat it. And then there's this aesthetic part to it that she saw it, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to her. And that's the lust of the eyes. And then finally, there's this intellectual side of it. There's this reasoning side of it that I'm going to gain wisdom if I do this. And then there's the pride of life. And and that comes out. And that's what John tells us is what destroys those that that live according to the world system. We move into this process of rationalization. That I have to have this. And what's, what blows me away, and this is why I really struggled with my, my friend from Bible school, is like, why would you do this? Why would you throw everything away for that? And, the, I, you know, I think what the devil does is he gets you so focused on that one thing that we miss all the goodness of God. 
that we miss all the blessings we already have. We miss everything else we have because we're so focused on that one thing. The one thing that's missing from our life. It talks about in James chapter 1 what happens when we get focused and we start going in the wrong direction. Another way that we progress into temptation. James chapter 1, beginning of verse 13, says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, there's this progression in your life that when you do give in to sin, it produces death in your life. I'm going to give you just four quick things about this process, and it actually comes from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And it's one of the most eloquent discussions of temptation you can ever read. But I just want to give you these four things, this process of how temptation works in our life. The first step that we walk into is this step of desire. Desire. You can write this down if you want, but this idea of desire. Temptation begins in the mind. Satan identifies a desire within you and then takes advantage of it. That's how it begins. It begins with that desire. And step two, we see this in our life, we see this in Adam and Eve, it's right there. Step two is doubt. Satan endeavors to get you to doubt what God has said about the sin. You ask, is is it really wrong? I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, other people are doing it and they're getting away with it. Is it really that bad? Is it maybe something that's okay for me to do? Step three is deception. Satan doesn't tell the truth. He is the father of lies. Sin is sin. A little sin is like a little pregnant. It will eventually show itself. Sin is like a detective. It will find you out. Sin will produce the death of your life. Which leads to step four after deception is disobedience. Disobedience. You act on the thoughts you've played in your mind. What began as an idea is birthed as a behavior. And that's when sin is fully conceived. It's with that sin. It took Adam and Eve from that childlike faith and walk with God into the harsh realities of their fallen life that they moved into kind of that adulthood and they embraced the pain of what they have done. When we give in to temptation, when it produces the sin in our life and and it's moving us toward death, giving in to temptation will change you. It will fundamentally change you and it will not change you for the better. It will destroy you. It will break you. It will bring shame on you. And even when the grace of God comes in to forgive you, he'll still remind you of it. See, when we give in to temptation, something inside of us breaks down. And yet we all do it. And we've all done it. From the very first man and woman all the way through all these generations to today. And so is there any hope? And this is where the story gets good. Jesus came. And he was tempted. And Jesus' temptations might look a little bit 
different, and that's because he's the savior of the world and you're not. But um, his temptation is a little bit different. Your temptation is different than my temptation. And, and it's just because the devil knows where he can get us, and so that's what he tries to do. And so when Jesus came, he finds himself in the desert, in the wilderness, after his baptism, before his ministry, and he hasn't eaten for 40 days. The devil says, why don't you turn those stones into bread? Why don't you go ahead and do that, Jesus, and, and uh, then you'll be, you'll be satisfied, and, 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 and that'll be great. And, and, and Jesus says, no. And a lot of people ask, well, why does he say no? Why, why doesn't he just, is it because he can't use his miracle powers for himself? What's the problem? And the problem is this, is that he wouldn't be relying on the Father for provision. Because did the Heavenly Father know right where Jesus was? Absolutely. Did he know he was hungry in human form, could die of service? Absolutely. In the book of Mark, it tells us when the temptations were done that the angels came and ministered to Jesus, that they took care of him and that they fed him, and that's how he was taken care of. And the Father sent that. And a lot of times in life, we get hungry. And we think, man, I'm following God. I shouldn't be hungry. I mean, Jesus should say, I shouldn't have to be hungry. I'm the Son of God. I do everything I write. I do, and, and yet I'm hungry. And the devil will try to use that. Yeah, you're, you shouldn't have to be hungry. You're better than all these. Why, why do you have to be hungry? So we try to satisfy our own hunger, but Jesus didn't. He said, no, I'm going to wait for the Father. The second one, they take him to the, the high point of the temple. Cast yourself down. Just jump down. The temple is the most popular place in the entire area where Jesus lives, and you can better believe that when he came floating down as the angels caught him, because the Heavenly Father would protect Jesus, he's going to come down floating. Everybody's going to be like, whoa, did you see that? And everybody's going to run to him and embrace him and, and be like, man, you're the man. But if you look at Jesus' life, that's not what happens. He doesn't do it that way. When the Father leads him, he has a lot of individual encounters with people, and those are recorded in Scripture. And you know what happens a lot to Jesus? People reject him. They don't want to follow him. They don't want to listen to him. They want to kill him. And he knows what rejection is like. And he had that opportunity to jump down, like, oh, I don't have to be rejected, and, and I could just, uh, yeah. no. He's going to feel the pain of rejection. And you'd be like, well, why do I have to feel the pain of rejection, God? I mean, I, I'm living for you. I'm doing... and, and yet, Jesus went through it. The final one is, is that you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. You're like, how would that even be like, even remotely possible? And the thought of Jesus, because he's always wrestled with going to the cross. He does it even in the last night of his life. Sweating drops of blood as he, as, he, as he prays through this to get his will in line with the Father's will. And, and maybe I wouldn't have to go to the cross. I, I just get everything. And I wouldn't have to go through any pain. I wouldn't have to go through the pain of the cross. And the devil will come in and say, you're going through so much pain. Why don't you just take care of that pain? Why don't you just do something to take? Because you, you shouldn't have to go through this pain. And the devil tries to get in. And what Jesus does is he just uses the word of God against the enemy. And Jesus overcomes temptation even though he's hungry, even though he's been rejected, even though he's going toward pain, even all these things. He still does it. And he says, you know what? The same power, I want to give it to you. I want you to have my power. And you know what? The devil didn't just leave after those three temptations. He kept coming back. The Bible says he came back at convenient seasons, that he would come back at a convenient season. And so the devil would come back again 
and again and again. But you know what? Jesus won again and again and again. He never met a demon-possessed person that he couldn't cast that demon out of. He never over, he, he, just, he, was, he just said, and he said, now I'm giving you my power. I'm giving you my authority. I want you to walk in that. Look at this verse from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. I love that. The enemy will tell you different, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't that great? God says, I'm going to provide a way out. And so let me give you this. Now, this is the good news. This is something I really want you to write down. Because this is the, the second part of what Rick Warren wrote. And, and he, this is how we defeat temptation in our life. This is what you need. Every person alive needs these next four things. This is how we defeat temptation in our life. First, refocus your attention on something else. Stop looking at the one thing that the devil has put in front of you. It says if you try to resist temptation, it only increases. You try to block the thoughts, it only drives them deeper. Don't fight the thought. Turn your attention to something else. Keep your mind occupied on God's word. Quote scriptures, pray, sing praises to God. Refocus your attention away from what the enemy has brought to your mind. Second of all, Reveal your struggle to a godly friend. Everyone needs someone to honestly share your struggles with. We all fight temptations. We are all human. And this is where I want to bring Jesus back into the equation. When Jesus was in the midst of temptation, he was in the wilderness all alone. So how did the gospel writers know to write about the temptations? How did they know what happened? I believe that Jesus told his disciples what he struggled with. I know it's probably blowing your mind to think that Jesus ever struggled with anything, but he did. And he says, and he tells his closest friends, this is what I go through. And I love that. And if Jesus, who is the Son of God, perfect in every way, tells his friends, I can tell my friends what's hard for me. And they can keep me accountable. I'm not sure that the disciples could help Jesus much, but I know my friends can. And so I need to share what I struggle with. The next one is resist the devil. The Bible is super clear in James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Put on your spiritual armor. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 6. And develop a warrior's mindset. I'm going to win. God said I'm going to win. I'm going to win. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna overcome this. We're going we're gonna to be strong. Finally, realize your vulnerability. Don't place yourself in tempting situations. Recognize your pattern of temptation. Be prepared for it. There are certain circumstances that make you more vulnerable to temptation. Identify them. Stay away from those trap doors. Why go there? Ask, where am I most tempted? What do I feel? Ask, who is with me when I'm most tempted? Temptation increases when one is bored and or lonely. Work out ways to deal with the circumstances. I want you to overcome temptation. And there are going to be times that we fall, we're human, and that happens. But, but I loved what one rabbi said about this part of Genesis as it begins. It says, great 
are God's acts of kindness. Because Adam and Eve do fall into temptation, but that's not the end of the story. That when they fail, God made a way. He still loved his creation. He still wanted that relationship with them. And so God made a way. Great are God's acts of kindness. And we see that so clearly in the New Testament when we see that God's grace was shed for us on a cross as he died for our sin. When temptation overtakes us, and I believe that God is asking today, as he did back in the garden, Adam and Eve, where are you? He's saying today to you, where are you? I love you. I've always loved you. I knew you were going to fail. I knew this was going to happen. I'm sad, but where are you? I want to be with you. And in the words of the song, I don't know if you could hear all of it, but I mean, this song is so powerful. As Adam and Eve in the song sing, if I could, I would. If I could go back again, if I, if I could just go back to what I had, if I could go back to the, the sunset walks with you and the cool breeze, and if I could just get back there, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to be in relationship with you. And so you have God's heart and Adam and Eve's heart, and I hope your heart tonight saying, God, I want to be in right relationship with you. And we have the very first promise of God coming in in, in, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So we call the Proto-Evangelium. It's the very first mention of what's coming, of the God's promise to, to send a Savior. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I love that. God says, I'm going to take care of this. Someday, I'm going to send a Savior. Someday, I'm going to send someone. And, and we know that Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins and he made a way. We still suffer with temptation. We still fall into sin. And the great good news is, is that when we do sin, God forgives us. 1 John 1.9. You should know this and have it memorized. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God forgives us when we fall down because He wants that relationship with you. He wants that. He desires that. And, and, and no matter what, we should go back to him again and again and again because we now belong to him. We are now part of his family. Whether it be Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount or the apostles later when, when Peter writes it in, in 1 Peter, he says, be holy because I am holy. He's saying, you belong to me. You don't belong to this world anymore. You don't belong to sin anymore. You belong to me. Walk in that holiness that I give you. And one of my favorite quotes from Rick Warren from this is this, temptation is an opportunity to do right. Sometimes we look at temptation as something evil, something wrong, something bad, Ooh, and, and we almost feel guilty for even being tempted. But you know when you're tempted, that's an opportunity to do what's right, to do something good, to honor God, to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. How wonderful is it that temptation can be an opportunity for me to draw even closer to God? It says in Romans 8.5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Where is your mind tonight? Where is your heart tonight? 
Is it set on the evil desires of this world? You know, we sang it tonight in the song Rescue. This world has nothing for me. I need you, Jesus. I, I need that type of relationship. And as we bring, come to a conclusion, I was thinking, do we have an altar call or whatever? It's hard, you know, it's really hard to have an altar call about temptation because everybody has to come forward whether you want to or not because we all go through it. So I thought we kind of have to do something different. And so I'm going to invite Leanne and the team back up. And I want us to worship, but not just worship with songs of, you know, just, just sing God's spirit. I want to sing songs about overcoming. Because I believe that God has designed you to overcome temptation. Temptation is just the part of life, but God gives us the power to overcome temptation. And so we're just, instead of having an altar call where we all have to come forward and cry, we're just going to stand to our feet and we're going to worship. And we're going to say, I am going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to doubt God anymore. I'm not going to go down that road, that, 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 that process that, that, that takes me farther away and then ultimately to death, but I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do what is right, what is good, and to draw near to God. God, tonight we love you. We honor you. And uh, Lord, this really does, it's important to all of us because it speaks to all of us. We are all broken. Lord, we have all faced temptation and failed. But I thank you that you aren't leaving us that way, that you come search for us. Just as you said to Adam and Eve in the garden, you say, where are you? I want to be with you. Where are you? Where are you hiding? And God, I thank you that we can come before you in complete confidence and confess our sin and you forgive our sin. But God, you also give us the power to overcome temptation. So that temptation isn't something that destroys us, but it's actually something that makes us stronger. And so, Lord, tonight we sing of how we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And God, thank you for the power and the authority to overcome any temptation we face. We sing this song of worship and of praise as our prayer tonight. Would you stand with me in our altar call for temptation.